All right, everybody, welcome to the Radically Christian Bible Study Podcast. I am Travis Pauley, and here we have one goal, learn to love like Jesus. Wes, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, brother. How are you? I'm doing great. We have a question from Anonymous today, and I think that means that it's just a, it's a listener, but they didn't give their name. That's um, correct. Not the group. Oh, there's Anonymous. a group called Anonymous. Right. I did not know that. They're... Um, I don't think they're sending any Bible study podcast questions. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> maybe um, someday they'll be listening. Maybe someday. Um, the question goes like this, a podcast topic I would love to have addressed. What do believers have to understand about baptism in order for their baptism to be valid, for lack of a better term? In other words, if someone is seeking after God and sees baptism as a command from God and wants to obey that, but they don't understand that baptism is the point of which the point at which we are saved, does that misunderstanding invalidate that baptism? Are they just getting wet at that point, even though obedience to God is their motivation? Great question. Yeah. Great question. I'm I'm nervous and excited to address this. Um, I would say that probably the way that I will end up answering this question has changed over the years from the way that I used to answer this type of a question uh, mm-hmm. to how I address it now. And I, I guess a lot of that has to do with not only reading more scripture and being more familiar with what scripture teaches and doesn't teach, but also understanding that this is a debate that has been going on for a very long time. Mm-hmm. What does a person need to understand in order to uh, to be become a Christian? What, what does a person need to understand in order for, as the as the question states it, in order for their baptism to be valid. Um, and so that's a, that's a question that's been talked about and debated for a very, very, very long time. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know that I will uh, solve all the issues on this or that we will uh, in our discussion today, but, uh, but I, I, I hope that we can at least give people some things to think about as we attempt to answer this question. Um, And I think we have to start by acknowledging and affirming what the listener says. Mm -hmm. Uh, The listener wrote in and said, um, does does the person have to understand that baptism is the point at which we're saved? And, And I think we have to affirm that, first of all. We have to affirm that baptism is the point at which we're saved. It is a for lack of a better term, a watershed moment. It's Mm -hmm. the moment at which we go from being one thing to another thing, from being old creation to being new creation, from being dead to being alive, from being outside of Christ to being in Christ. And so it is this moment that we can look back on. Every single follower of Jesus is supposed to have this moment where they can look back and they can say, I remember where I was. I remember what happened. I remember being transferred out of darkness and into light, into the kingdom of God. And so we're supposed to have this moment. For us, it is like Israel crossing the Red Sea. It's like us being, when when Israel went through the Red Sea, they went from being slaves to being free. When Naaman uh, in, in 2 Kings, when he dipped in the river, he went from being a leper to being cleansed. And so it is that moment from which we cross from one thing into another thing, from one place into another place, from slavery into freedom. And I think we have to affirm that that's what the New Testament teaches. It teaches that it's, it is symbolic. It's, it's highly symbolic. Of course it's symbolic. 
but it's more than just a symbol. In Christianity, symbols are more than just symbols. They are effectual. And so baptism is both a symbol and it is effectual. It is it is doing something. It is accomplishing something. Mm-hmm. It's the moment at which something is accomplished. So I just want to read a few verses just to affirm this before we go any further. Acts 2.38 is probably the, the pivotal passage on which this question hinges. And Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost. And of course, there are Jews that are part of the, uh, the diaspora, part of the dispersed uh, nation of Israel, and they've come back uh, for the Feast of Pentecost to Jerusalem. And so they're in Jerusalem, and the apostles uh, have this experience, and, and the disciples of Jesus have this experience where the the Holy Spirit comes on them, and they're, they're speaking in tongues, and this whole crowd of people gathers around because they're speaking in languages that they don't know. And, and Peter begins to preach to them to explain this is what's happening. And what's happening is the fulfillment of prophecy. What what you were told was going to happen someday when God poured out his spirit on all flesh, this is beginning to transpire. And and then he tells them that they have they have murdered the Messiah, that as the nation of Israel, as the Jewish people, they have put to death God's anointed king. And of course they're pricked in their heart what and, and ask what they should do. And Peter says in response to that, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so baptism is for the forgiveness of sins. <laughs> baptism is the moment at which our sins are forgiven. Um, but but that's not all that verse says. We could spend a lot of time talking about that verse, but I don't want us to make the mistake of focusing more attention on the phrase for the forgiveness of sins than we do in the name of Jesus Christ. Hmm. Because of all the words in Acts 2.38, the most important words are in the name of Jesus Christ, Hmm. that you are being baptized by his name. And if it's not in his name, or um, it's the idea it's it's the idea that if in old commercials they used to say something like, "Well, tell them Travis sent you, tell them Wes sent you," and and when you go down to this this place, tell them that I sent you there. And yeah. the the whole idea is that if if I come to Travis and I say, "Hey, Travis, uh, your your sister told me to come and visit with you," or your dad told me to come and visit with you, you're more likely to listen to me because I came in someone else's name. I'm not coming in my own name. I'm coming in their name. You have an endorsement. Oh, that's a good word. I like it. An endorsement. Absolutely. You have a a mediator. You have someone who has interceded for you, and you're coming in the name of your intercessor, in the name of the person who is, like you said, endorsing you. Hmm. And so Peter tells the, the Jewish people on the day of Pentecost, to be baptized in the name of Jesus, to appeal to God for forgiveness in Jesus' name. Now, what is going to happen when they do that, when they appeal to God for forgiveness in the name of Jesus, is that their sins are going to be forgiven and that they are going to receive the gift of God's Holy Spirit. And and are they doing that with that intention? Yes, (laughs) 
That's why they're doing that, because they've been convicted of their sins. They've realized we are sinful, we are broken, we are under the wrath of God, we've killed God's son, and and so we deserve punishment. And what are we going to do about that? Peter says, here's what you're going to do about that. For the forgiveness of your sins, you're going to be baptized in Jesus' name, and you're going to receive the forgiveness of your sins, and you're going to receive the gift of God's Holy Spirit. So again, are they being baptized for the forgiveness of their sins with that in mind, with that intention? Yes. They're not being baptized because their sins are already forgiven. There are some people that try to teach this passage, and they sort of manipulate the word for. Now, in English, for can mean a couple of different things. Mm -hmm. If I say, Travis, would you go to the store for a loaf of bread? That means, would you go to the store in order to get that loaf of bread? Mm -hmm. But if I said, um, would you go to the store for you're the best person to go for us? (laughs) I I used for twice. Would you go to the store for you're the best one for this task? Mm -hmm. When I use for in that way, it can mean because, because you're the best person for this task, because right. you're, you're such a great grocery shopper, will you do this? And so that this word for has been manipulated by those who would say, well, when Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, it means because your sins are already forgiven. Mm. Well, not only does that not make sense contextually, it doesn't make sense grammatically, because the Greek word is ace, and ace always means into, that that you are doing this in order to obtain. You're not doing this because it's already happened. It's not looking backwards, it's looking forwards. So again, I say all of this simply to affirm that baptism is for the forgiveness of sins. We could look at Colossians chapter 2 and verse uh, verses 10 through 12 that talk about baptism is the point at which we're resurrected. It's the point at which we, we come alive in Christ Jesus. Uh, Galatians chapter 3, Paul's point there isn't about the forgiveness of sins, but it's more about being part of Abraham's family. And he says, when you were baptized into Christ, you put on Christ, and now there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So there, Paul's point is, at baptism, you become a part of the family of Abraham. And so throughout the New Testament, we, we don't see baptism as sort of this optional thing, this thing you, you should do, but you don't have to do. We see it as something that every disciple of Jesus, if they want to be a disciple of Jesus, they're baptized. If they want to put their faith in Jesus, they're baptized. If they want to receive what Jesus is offering, they're baptized. And and there's there's no there's no um, exceptions to that. It it happens every time somebody wants to be a follower of Jesus. So we have to affirm that baptism is for the forgiveness of sins. Any thoughts yeah. on that so far, Travis? Yeah, you know, a couple things you mentioned. You mentioned the story of Naaman. I think that's such a. I always think that's such a relevant story. Yeah. Um, I've wondered many times if it's if it's survived, and part of our Old Testament for the purpose of understanding something like this, because one of the things I I always think about that story is um, how simply the servant puts it to his master Naaman. You know, he asked you to do something simple. Why are you 
why are you making it a, a bigger issue than it is? Yeah. But I, as, as you were talking about this, and as I was thinking through some of these, um, these things we have to consider when we think about baptism and questioning the validity of, of baptism, um, I was thinking also, well, Naaman was somebody who went in with, to that miracle with a healthy amount of, uh, more than healthy amount of skepticism. You know, he, he yeah. was sort of convinced, well, why wouldn't you at least try? Uh, which doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't sound like, and, and you can imagine early people coming into the church um, sort of not quite understanding why am I doing this? Uh, I'm mindful of the fact that I was a kid when I was baptized. If anything, I think in some ways it, it made more sense to me back then than it does with the, you know, some of the natural cynicism that comes with with growing up and, and sort of being installed into society because rites of passage mean a lot to you when you're a kid. And, and I think that that's, that's something I was thinking about the whole time we've, we've been talking about this so far is part of our struggle with baptism on whatever side of the issue you come out on is, is our struggle to understand rites of passage because we don't have a lot of things like that in our society. You know, we don't, we don't have a lot of, um, you know, when you, when we look at our Christian heritage and, you know, that there are still some, as, you know, areas in Christendom that still rely a lot on symbolic gestures and symbolic, you know, ceremonial um, expressions of your faith. I think it's harder for us because we don't have a lot of that. You know, th this is sort of um, the temple of our rite of passage. This is This is how you become a Christian. And I think that I've often wondered if, if groups in Christianity that try to do away with this and, or at least try to downplay it's uh, the, you know, the, the impact that something doing something physical, you know, a lot of folks would call it a work and, you know, James, we find in James, you know, we're not saved by works, we're saved by faith. Uh, of course he, he, he clarifies that um, with, you know, show me your faith without works. But um, I, I've often thought if, if part of the, desire to do away with something like this or to downplay its significance is about, you know, just wanting to make it seem more normal to be in the body of Christ, you know, like, like it's not such a big deal. Yeah. I think, I think that the reason why it gets downplayed, and, and I think that this, this plays into our conversation mm -hmm. because we have, we have 2,000 years of church history, and so the way that baptism has been interpreted and applied over the centuries has influenced, for better or for worse, the way we think about it. None of us is a blank right. slate, and, and none of us comes at it uh, with a completely blank slate. As you said, we all have cultural influences that are just part of the culture, whatever culture we find ourselves in, mm -hmm. but we also have... Christian, quote unquote, cultural influences. We have the evolution of Christian thought. Right. And so within within early Christianity, what what happened pretty early on within the first few centuries of Christianity was this idea that, well, if baptism is the moment at which you're forgiven and saved, 
well, maybe we needed to delay baptism as long as possible. And so you had people in the in the early days that were delaying baptism until they were almost dead because they right. were afraid that their sins after baptism wouldn't be forgiven, but all the sins before baptism would be forgiven. And so they were delaying baptism until the very end. Well, that misunderstands the whole point of as you said, a rite of passage, becoming a disciple, like right. you are entering into a new life. This is what baptism is, not just the forgiveness of your past sins. Yes, that's part of it, mm-hmm. but it's also about beginning a fellowship with God, the Father, and God, the Son, and God, the Spirit, and living in fellowship with God from that point forward. It's not just about the past, it's about the present and the future. And and that part of baptism was really misunderstood. And then as as, as time went on, sort of the idea that that this is what puts you into the covenant family mm-hmm. began to be the predominant thought about baptism, which led people to say, well, if if this is about being part of the covenant family, then we need to apply baptism to to children. And so babies were were sprinkled with the idea that now they're part of the covenant family too and their their sins are are forgiven and again that that plays into original sin and we could talk about all that but where that misses the mark on baptism is that now faith has been personal individual faith has been totally disconnected from the act of baptism that the infant doesn't have faith he doesn't believe she doesn't believe she doesn't put her faith in Jesus it's simply the parents who've decided for them to apply right. baptism to their life well that is is a departure from what the new testament teaches because it's about individual personal faith in Jesus the messiah and that that's what that's where the saving work happens is in believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the Living God. It it's the prerequisite that uh, that the Ethiopian eunuch is given when he asks, "Can I be baptized?" There's water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip tells him, "If you believe," and he confesses, "I believe Jesus is the Christ." Well, an infant can't do that, and so this sort of baptism of infants departs from the Christian teaching, the New Testament teaching on baptism, because it it disconnects baptism from faith. And that's a problem. Well, when the Reformers come along, the Reformers say, it's all about faith. How have we missed that it's all about faith? We we need to make it about faith, that, it's, that salvation is by God's grace through faith, faith only, grace only. And so they focused on it being about about faith. <laughs> and right. they're right to reconnect salvation and faith. But they were wrong to say, if it's about faith and it's about grace, then baptism has nothing to do with it. Well, that's wrong also, because baptism is an act of faith. We're only baptized because we're appealing to God in the name of Jesus. If it's departed from faith, if it's disconnected from faith, then it has no meaning. And so that that has all of these debates have really influenced the way that we've thought. And so the the reformers got away from the necessity of baptism and had to sort of fit it in as sort of a work of obedience. And well, you're, you're saved because you put your faith in Jesus and then you're baptized later just to be obedient. Well, then the restoration movement comes along in, in the United States and, and even in, in uh, Europe to some degree. And they began to say, well, wait a second, this doesn't fit the New Testament teaching either. We we really need to repent of our sins and be baptized if we want to be saved. It, it really does seem to be part of salvation. <laughs> so, so what is it? Is it faith, or is it the act of being baptized? 
Is it being baptized or is it faith or is it God's grace? And the answer is yes. It's yes. And we've we've so compartmentalized all of these things where we've said, well, it's either the act of getting baptized or the steps of going through all of the steps or doing this, these ceremonies, or it's about faith in Jesus and just trusting Jesus for salvation. It's one or the other. And because we've tried to make it one or the other, we've really missed out on what the New Testament is teaching. And, and I think you're exactly right with Naaman is a great example of he, he put his faith and he obeyed. He did what he yeah. was told to do. Now, did he earn healing? cleansing? Of course not. He didn't earn cleansing because he did some great deed. In fact, it wasn't a great deed. It was an act of submission, an act of humble, faithful submission, and God gave him cleansing. And so we see this pattern or this idea throughout the throughout the Bible, but but we just struggle with it because we've debated it so very long. Um, but But it very much is an act of faith that we say, I'm trusting that Jesus will wash away my sins. And because I trust him, I'm going to submit in faith to baptism. Now, it brings up an interesting question, though, to get back to the the original question of this podcast, is, well, what if you don't understand that? What if you, what if you think you're saved, you think you're forgiven, you think you're a Christian and you're in Christ, and then later you realize, well, I, I've never been baptized. I need to be baptized. And you're baptized because you want to obey God. You want to do what God has told you to, even though you you don't see that as a watershed moment. You don't see that as a necessary thing. Does that invalidate the baptism? And do you need to be baptized again if you were baptized not knowing that that's the point of forgiveness? Now, again, this question has been asked and debated, especially within Churches of Christ for a very long time. I, I found a, a question that was submitted to the Gospel Advocate um, by a, a person whose name is J. Wesley Smith, and David Lipscomb replied to that question. <laughs> and then to the reply, uh, another publication, Firm Foundation, had someone who argued with David Lipscomb's answer to the original question. So I'm going to read the question. So somebody wrote into the Gospel Advocate and said, would I do wrong to be baptized again since I've been baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost by a Methodist? I did not know at the time that baptism was for the remission of sins, but I did it to obey God. Is it right to make a knowledge of baptism? Is it right to make knowledge of baptism for remission of sins a test of fellowship? And so J. Wesley Smith is asking the same question that our our listener is asking: Does a person need to be baptized again? in order to be right with God if they didn't understand that baptism was for the forgiveness of sins, if they were baptized simply to be obedient. Now, it's interesting what David Lipscomb said in response, because a lot of preachers I know today would not respond the way Lipscomb did. I'm just going to read in part what he said. He says, one led to be baptized because he desires to do the will of God is moved by love, the higher motive. That is the motive that moved Jesus to be baptized. It is the motive that best pleases God. For a man to ignore and reject a baptism because he was led to it by love for God and a desire to obey him and displace it by a lower or less motive, and he's there talking about the motive of fear, being right. afraid of being punished for sins. He says, if if we reject the the motive of love and obedience— and we only accept the motive of fear, 
then he says we're we're replacing it by a lower or less motive. He says this begins in the spirit and ends in the flesh. He repudiates the higher service for that less pleasing to God. He goes on later, says, any baptism to please man displeases God. A baptism or any service to please any church or any persons displeases God. A sectarian baptism is sinful, but a baptism to obey God is not sectarian baptism. It is the baptism of Christ. He says, many of the rebaptisms are performed to please those who demand it as a condition of fellowship. In Texas, a few months since, I learned of a woman who had been baptized and desired fellowship with the disciples. Some objected to her objected to her because she had not been baptized among the disciples. She had been baptized to obey God. What kind of baptism would it be? I fear many of them are to satisfy those who demand it. A person ought to have a clear conscience that in all the service he renders, he does it from faith in God and to to do his will. When he does what God commands from this motive, he may rest secure in the mercy of God. So Lipscomb's argument is essentially that a baptism to obey God is the best kind of motivation. That mm-hmm. That's what our motivation should be. I want to obey God. And if that's why you did it, to obey God, then you did it for the right reason. He says what would be for the wrong reason is to do it because they won't let you in their church unless you do it for their reason. <laughs> that would be a sectarian baptism, he says. He says that that would be um, that would be to please them. That would be to please that church rather than to please God. And if you're baptized to please God, you've done it for the right reason. But if you're baptized to please a church, you've done it for the wrong reason. Now, I, I could see I could see some some obvious problems that someone might have with what Lipscomb says. Um, but but it's interesting to me the response that George Savage, I, I think he's the editor or was the editor for Firm Foundation publication, he wrote a scathing review of what uh, Lipscomb said in the Gospel Advocate. And he said, when these brethren say men are to be baptized, quote, to obey God, they admit that faith in the design, some design, is necessary to the validity of the act. So what he's saying is, Lipscomb says you you need to be baptized to obey God. And, and so Savage picks up on that and says, oh, see, so you say you should have some motive, some right motive. And, and so right motive is important to some degree. And so you're putting your faith in some design. Mm-hmm. And he says, you're just not putting your faith in the right design. He says, and if faith in the design is necessary, why not place the design there there revealed in the Bible and settle the question at once? And so Savage is saying that the design is that baptism is for the forgiveness of sin. And if you don't have faith in that, then your baptism is invalid. Now, we could pick apart what Lipscomb says, we could pick apart what Savage says, but I really have a problem with what George W. Savage is saying in the in the Firm Foundation. I think mm-hmm. this is very problematic to say that our faith should be in the design, as if what God did was give us a design or give us a pattern to follow, and that we put our faith in that pattern, that if we follow this pattern, follow this teaching step by step by step, then we can have faith that our sins are forgiven. And so we're putting our faith in that design, our faith in that pattern. 
that is a problem. That is a very mm-hmm. serious theological problem. And I, one I feel like needs to be addressed over and over and over again. In fact, uh, Casey Moser, uh, Moser um, wrote uh, a book. Um, let's see, I've got it right here. The way of salvation, and 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 Moser talks a lot about that our faith should be in the man, not in the plan. It should mm. be in Christ, not in the steps, not in the plan, not in the design. I would say it this way: I I think back on my baptism, and I have absolutely no confidence in my baptism, but I have complete confidence in my Lord. I have complete confidence in Jesus. I have you, no confidence in yeah. my baptism, but I have complete confidence in Jesus. What's that? Sorry. What do you mean by no confidence in your baptism? Because that that's not where I'm placing my confidence. I'm right. not placing my confidence in what I did or what I understood when I True. did it. I understood that I was broken and sinful. I, I understood that I was weak and I was in need of a Savior. Mm-hmm. And was my understanding perfect? Of course not. That's why I was baptized, because of my own lack of understanding. Was my baptism good? Of course not, because I wasn't good. That's why I was being baptized. I was broken, and I was in need of a Savior. That's what I had confidence in then, and that's what I have confidence in now. I have confidence in the fact that I need a Savior, and His name is Jesus. And so, what really bothers me is when we say, well, I don't know that I had, I, I don't know that I can have confidence in my baptism, so I need to be baptized again. And I always caution people against that. Yeah. Don't, don't get rebaptized so that you can put confidence in your baptism. Your confidence at baptism and the day after baptism and a year after baptism and 20 years after baptism should not be in your baptism. It should be in your Lord Jesus. That's what baptism is all about. It's all about putting our faith in Jesus, not in our own understanding or and in our own obedience in following a design. Well, and that's what, you know, that that reminds me so much of what Jesus was dealing with when he came to to earth. You know, you're worshiping the law, not God. And you know, I'm I'm reminded of when he his disciples are are eating and gathering grain on the Sabbath, and and they say, you know, you your disciples they, you know, they they don't they don't obey the Sabbath, and and he says that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You know, you're 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 putting your emphasis on the wrong thing, and and yes. I'd never thought of that until until you laid that out. That um, at the end of the day, we're not worshiping baptism. We're not. You know that's that's not, not that's not who we're coming together. What we're coming together, you know, it's a concept. It's a it's an important one, I think, um, because of who gave it to us and who modeled it for us. Exactly. But and that's who but who us. who died for it, who who instituted it when he died. You know, who who allowed for the possibility of your sins to be forgiven, um, if if you were to accept that gift uh, in this way. But I, I think, yeah, like you said. It's 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 not different than what the what the Pharisees and the and, and the Jewish people of the time were struggling with that they you know they were you're you're worshiping the method not the you know, yes. not not the creator yes the method and not the Messiah and yeah. and that's and that's exactly that's exactly why Paul could say throughout all of his books but I, I think particularly of Ephesians or of Romans and he could say you're saved by faith. 
You're saved by faith. Paul never says you're saved because you did everything correctly. You right. you followed the pattern. You followed the the method. You followed these steps. Yes, yes, there are steps to follow. Yes, there are things that you should do. But you're saved because you put your faith in Jesus the Messiah. You're saved because of what He did for you. I, I think one of the most telling things for me when I was doing youth ministry, I would often ask young people, "Are you saved?" And they would say, "Yes." Are you sure you're saved? Yes, I'm sure. Why are you sure that you're saved? Because I was, wait, stop. Even before you say baptized, that should not be how you start that sentence. Right. It should start with, because Jesus died, because Jesus keeps his promises, because God is faithful. That's why you're saved. You're saved because of who God is, who Jesus is, and what Jesus has done for you. Yes, you received that when you were baptized. Yes, you accepted that when you were baptized. Yes, when you were baptized, you committed to leaving a life of sin and accepting a life of obedience and discipleship. Yes, all of those things are true, but your confidence that you really are a disciple of Jesus, that you really are part of the family of God, shouldn't come from what you did, but come from what Jesus did for you. And and that's where, again, if somebody decides, I wasn't baptized according to Scripture, I need to be baptized again. Okay, great. You know, let's let's do that. It, It takes five minutes. Let's 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 be baptized. That's that's fantastic. But don't do it. Don't do it so that you can have confidence in your baptism. Do it so you can have confidence in Jesus. If you lack confidence that you are in a right relationship with God because you feel like you really haven't submitted yourself to him, mm-hmm. then be baptized. Right. <laughs> but it, but don't do it because you think, well, now I know enough. Now I'm smart enough. Now I'm good enough. Now I know all the rules. Now I can follow all the steps because guess what's going to happen a month or two months or a year or 10 years later you're going to know more than you did in the beginning. That's the whole point of baptism. It's right. a starting place, not a finish line. Yeah. It's the starting point, not the finish line. And, and so we have to recognize that we're never going to know. We're never going to know everything we could know when we're baptized. If we know that that's what the Ethiopian eunuch knew, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's what he knew, and he was ready to be baptized. Did he know he was receiving forgiveness of sins? I'm sure that he did. But th- there's the, the big question that we're wrestling with right now is, well, what if he didn't know? What if he didn't know that—what if he thought his sins were already forgiven, and would his sins still have been forgiven had he right. been confused on that point? Had he not done it for the forgiveness of his sins? Well, I think we have to be able to say— the Bible doesn't say. Right. The Bible doesn't answer that question. As far as we know, everyone who was baptized in the first century world knew that they were doing it for the forgiveness of their sins. What if they had been confused on that point? Would they still have been forgiven? I don't know. And no one else knows for sure because right. Scripture just doesn't answer that question. It's like, what if we wanted to introduce hula hooping as part of the worship? You know, I mean, a million different things we could do. It's like, well, I don't think you should do that because the New Testament doesn't teach that. It doesn't say anything right. on that whatsoever. And so, yes, we we shouldn't teach that you are that that baptism is something you do after you're forgiven and after you're saved. That would right. be to teach something different than the New Testament. But what if someone does do that? 
What, what if that has been done? What if they did believe they were saved and then they were baptized afterwards? Well, Scripture doesn't say. Here, here's a quote from um, uh, Eflagard Smith in the book, Who is My Brother? He said, first, must a person have a completely correct understanding of the doctrine of baptism in order for his adult faith-prompted immersion in the name of Jesus to count? I know of no passage which gives us a useful answer. Certainly, those who were baptized on the day of Pentecost knew full well that their baptism was for the forgiveness of sins, but that doesn't answer the the separate question, the quite separate question of how God views a person who obeys the Lord's command to be baptized while under the mistaken belief that he is already a Christian. We are simply not told. And I think we have to be able to admit that about a whole lot of things in Scripture. What does the Bible say on this? Nothing. It doesn't say anything on that. And that's important that it doesn't say anything on that, because what the Bible does say about baptism is is pretty clear, but it doesn't answer all of these what-if scenarios. It doesn't answer all of these hypothetical things. About the closest we could come is Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 7. And a lot of people want to use this passage to say, see, here were some people that were in Ephesus, and they believed wrong, and they were baptized based on their mistaken belief or based on their outdated belief, and they were baptized under John's baptism. It might have been right. taught by Apollos. And and they were baptized under John's baptism or with John's baptism, and, and they hadn't received the Holy Spirit. And so when Paul comes along and teaches them more fully, they need to be baptized because they hadn't been baptized with the right understanding. And say people say, well, see, this is a great example of, of being baptized again because you didn't have the right understanding initially. Yes and no. Yes, they hadn't been taught correctly, and so they needed to be baptized. But their baptism wasn't in the name of Jesus. That right. was the problem. That's the, the problem that's was the that they're—sorry, what's that? That's the big difference. Is that, like, that's exactly we're, right. We're, at the end of the day, we're talking about baptism in Christ. That's right. That's yeah. exactly right. And so these these disciples in Ephesus had been baptized with John's baptism, not Christ's baptism. So they were not baptized by putting their faith in Jesus. Their baptism had nothing about nothing to do with Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection. And so that's quite a different thing than someone who says now, hey, listen, I put my faith in Jesus. I repented of my sins. I want Jesus to, to save me. I knew I was yeah. supposed to be baptized. I got baptized. I did it in the wrong order, but yeah. am I still am I still saved? Well, number one, I, I have to admit, Scripture doesn't answer that question explicitly, you know? And so yeah. a person may want to be baptized based on their new understanding. But the bottom line is, this whole conversation comes down to be baptized, putting your faith in Jesus to save you. That's yeah. what baptism is. Baptism is an act of saying, I'm trusting you to save me. So I would tell a person, if you were baptized, trusting in Jesus to save you. If you were baptized, trusting in Jesus to wash away your sins. If you were baptized, trusting that Jesus is going to be your Savior in the past, in the present, and the future, then rest assured in Jesus. Put your confidence in Jesus. But if you were baptized, not putting your faith in Jesus to take right. away your sins, not trusting in Jesus to save you, any number of reasons somebody might be baptized and not be putting their faith in Jesus, that's a problem. That's not New Testament baptism. New Testament baptism is a baptism that says, I'm trusting you to 
save me. And, and, and so at the end of the day, our confidence is in Jesus, not in our own understanding, not in, in our following a certain design. Yeah, just some final thoughts I have on, on this issue. Uh, I think one of the things I keep thinking about as we talk about this is I'm, I'm reminded of, of Jesus healing people in the Gospels. And so many times before he heals, you know, somebody, they bring, you know, I'm, I'm mindful, especially of the paralyzed man who's lowered through the roof. Before he heals him, he says, I've, you know, your sins are forgiven. And, you know, it, 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 it makes me think of that because they weren't always, they, they didn't seem to be coming to Jesus. They didn't seem to be coming to this teacher, whatever they understood him as. Maybe they understood him to be the Messiah, but they didn't necessarily seem to be coming him to, to him to give forgiveness of sins. But what does Jesus do over and over again while he's on earth and continuing in the legacy that we exist in, the, 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 the Christian church that it survives today? It's you come to Jesus for all kinds of reasons and he gives you something more. You know, at the time people thought the Messiah is coming because he's going to overthrow the Romans and he's going to, you know, he's going to establish his kingdom here on earth. And it's going to, it's going to be better for good people now. And he was like, no, I don't have that for you, but I've got something better. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just reminded of that, you know, remember through all of this, because like, you know, you've mentioned several times at the end of the day, we're talking, we're talking about things that we do. And the point of all of this is that we don't do it. There is, there are things that are required of us, but at the end of the day, I'm just reminded that we serve a God who is willing to forgive our sins and that the one who can do that is more powerful than my misintentions. I'm also reminded of, uh, of the, you know, the fact that we're talking, like we're talking about doing things in the right order with a God who exists in eternity. <laughs> um, and, and the, the last thing I keep thinking about as well, and it, it's an imperfect analogy, but I keep thinking of this idea of graduation. You know, there's, I remember to my high school graduation, there's this sense that something's over. And, you know, I've, I went to graduation for my sister here in the last couple of months. And there, there was that sense, there was that feeling of something's over. But when I really think about it, it's like, well, that's not the point. Like the point of a graduation always is now you get to go do this thing. You know, you, you get a piece of paper that says, I'm, I, I'm, I'm on a new journey now. I have, I, have, I have qualifications to be on a new journey now. If it was, if that was it, if it was just, you did all that studying and then that was the, that was the reward, you know, that, that was, you know, you're a Christian now. Yay. <laughs> That's the work just begun. The, the work mm -hmm. has just begun. Like you're a mm -hmm. Christian now you're invited into this family. You're invited into this legacy of believers and this Christian heritage. And that's where the work really begins. And I, and, and that's why, you know, like you mentioned about your baptism, and having no confidence in it. It's like, I, 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 when you said that I was interested cause I, I identify with that. Cause I go, you know, I know I was mostly just scared when I got baptized, mm -hmm. but the cool thing is I'm not just scared now. Mm -hmm. Now I'm invested. Now I'm yeah. part of the work. And, and that to me is, is something that's, that's so exciting and so positive about this discussion of baptism mm -hmm. is that it's the beginning point. You know, it's not like, that that misconception that that you mentioned about that people had in the early church very early on that um that you know it's something you do at the end because i don't you know i want to get that forgiveness of sin right at the deadline mm -hmm. and then go to heaven you know and 
because I think that I think that also plays into to fears that we may have that well if we are a sinner after we're baptized if we continue sinning uh, and Paul has a lot to say about that 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 you know that we're now now it's invalidated you know that could be another reason somebody could feel that their baptism is invalidated but I think you know again trusting in the God who is able to forgive sins and this um, a rather simple system he set up for those to come to him, I think is, um, I, I think is really powerful. I think it's one of the things that makes yeah. the Christian faith so, so unique. Yeah. And, and I think that that's, that's exactly, you're, you're exactly right. And, and it, it really is very simple. And I, I want to reiterate that, that we do need to teach what the Bible teaches about mm-hmm. when sins are forgiven. I think that's important. I think teaching baptism the way the Bible teaches is important. But I also think we have to reflect on the fact that if I encourage people to have faith in the process or to have mm-hmm. faith in the design, or if I have teach people to have faith in the plan, that I'm I'm teaching them to put their faith in the wrong things, that I have to teach people to put their faith in Jesus, because at the end of the day, a person has forgiveness because of their connection to Jesus, not because of what they've done, but because of what he's done. Thank you so much for being part of the Radically Christian Bible Study Podcast today. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode. I want to give a special thanks to Travis Pauly and to our McDermott Road Church family for making this podcast possible. As always, we love you, God loves you, and we hope that you have a wonderful day.